Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Well, hello, my name is Stephanie Kraft. I was born in Washington, D.C. in 1971, and I grew up, I had a great childhood, actually. Um, I had a brother and a sister. I'm the middle child. My Both of my parents were married. But what's interesting about childhood is that we don't always know it was actually terrible until way later. And so I found out when I was 40 years old that my mother was a narcissist and I had already gone no contact with her and have I've been no contact with my mother for 15 years. So I had to go through a lot of healing uh, about that. And anyway, so that was my childhood. It seemed great on the surface, but inside the house, there was a lot of trauma and abuse. Um, but it's kind of good that I didn't know that when I was a child because I got to experience the good parts. Um, so the other things that people might like to know about me are that I'm very spiritual. Um, I'm an energy healer and a hypnotherapist. I've been, I had my spiritual awakening in the year 2000 that really opened me up dramatically. And I had multiple spiritually transformative experiences. Um, I'm passionate about authenticity. I'm passionate about the evolution of souls. I'm very interested in the journey of souls. I actually do life between lives hypnotherapy. Um, so my father died in 2000. And after that, I began my studies of hypnotherapy, life between lives, energy healing, and all of that. I also am passionate about essential oils and making products like natural botanical perfumes and natural body care products. I do have a line, um, you know, of that, of those products, but, um, I just really enjoy when people are, doing their best when they're trying and working. And you can see that transformational process happening. I love that. Um, so I'm, that's what I'm all about. And that's what my work is about too. But anyway, I'll go right into the story that we're talking about today, which I actually call the light conception of my son. This is not a concept I ever knew anything about, but I was married. My ex-husband and I got married back in 2003. And in my mind, I just felt like one day we'll have kids and I didn't really give it any thought. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind at all. Uh, a year later in 2004, 
all of the sudden out of no, from out of nowhere really i had this incredible urge one of the strongest urges i've ever had in my life to have a baby and i told him i told my husband at the time i have to have a baby right now and he said well i don't know i'm young he was 4 years younger than i i was 32 he was 28 we both turned uh 29 and 33 by the time we had our son but at the time we were both uh, those ages and so he said well i'm still young we have time we just got married a year ago we should wait and i said no you don't understand i have to have a baby right now it was the craziest thing because i felt it i didn't understand it but it was so incredibly strong and looking back at it i realized that was the soul of my son that was actually coming. And I just didn't know that, that that was what was happening, but I knew I had to have a baby. Well, I was on the pill at the time, something that I don't advocate. I was on it only temporarily, and I think it's terrible for women, but I probably at the time didn't know any better. And I, took, I, I went off of the pill because I knew it was time to have a baby. So the first two months, I knew exactly when ovulation was, but the first two months, there was no pregnancy. Then I talked to a medical intuitive doctor. He was uh, an MD, but he, his practice became medical intuition. And he was extremely accurate, so accurate that he was actually featured on things like the Discovery Channel and um, and some other channels like that years ago. And so I called him and or I had a session with him and I told him, I wanna have, I wanna get pregnant, I wanna have a baby. And can you check and make sure everything is okay? So he did his medical intuitive scan and he said, Stephanie, you absolutely cannot have a baby. You are on thyroid medication and your thyroid is not strong enough to hold a baby. And he told me about my uterus, some other things about my uterus. And he said, you cannot carry a baby to term. You will absolutely have a miscarriage. Do not get pregnant. So I said, oh, okay, I won't. I purposefully was like, okay, now my body has to heal first. I am absolutely not going to get pregnant. So the third month rolled around. I knew when ovulation was, and I was actually sick with an upper respiratory infection, like a bad cold. And I thought, oh, that's good. I'm sick. We're not going to have any bedroom activity because I know when ovulation is, and it was at the same time I was sick. So once I got better and, um, you know, it was way past ovulation. I do recall that there was a little bit of, you know, bedroom activity, I'll call it, but it was not at, during ovulation. It was way after. And I know that because I was very aware and conscious of, I am absolutely not going to get pregnant and I will do whatever it takes not to get pregnant. Well, that was the third month. So the fourth month rolled around and I did not get my period. And I thought that was so odd. I've been regular my entire life. And I took a pregnancy test. 
And it, it turned out that I was pregnant, but that would have been impossible, literally impossible. So in a bit of a panic, I called that medical intuitive doctor and he did a scan and he said, it's too early. You're going to have to wait a few weeks, make another appointment with me, and then I'll be able to check and see the health of the baby and, and your health. So I waited and I don't remember if it was six weeks or eight weeks later, but I had my session with him. During this session, he said, your baby has brought in extra spiritual healing and you are cured. You are healed. You can stop taking your thyroid medication. Your baby and your body are perfect. And normally during pregnancy, if a woman is on thyroid medication, she has to increase her dosage due to the pregnancy. Well, in my case, I completely quit the medication. I was on no medication then and went on to have what I would call the most ecstatic pregnancy. I was literally ecstatic the whole time, full of joy, full of energy. I was, I had like four jobs during that time. Not only was I, did I have four jobs, but on the weekends, I did a ton of training, training to become a hypnotherapist, training to become a hypnobirthing instructor, um, not to mention taking childbirth classes with my husband, Bradley, hypnobirthing. I mean, I just was working and taking classes around the clock like like a crazy person, but I wasn't crazy. I was full of energy and full of joy. It was an, an extremely happy time and I absolutely loved being pregnant. Um, it was probably one of the most joyful and energetic times of my life. And it's interesting because that medical intuitive doctor said that my son brought in spiritual healing and that was a miracle. Uh, and probably what brought me so much good energy and joy at the time. So always in the back of my mind, I couldn't understand how I got pregnant. It didn't make any sense. It, it, I, I actually knew within myself that I did not get pregnant in the way that nor regular, that we normally think causes a pregnancy, meaning Normally we, we think that intercourse creates a pregnancy, but that's not what happened in my case. So I never understood that, but I did feel like it was some kind of divine miracle. And I never told anybody for a long time. And then years later, I was sitting in a class with a couple, a man and a woman who teach metaphysical classes, they are intuitives, psychics, they do this for a living. And they were talking about ancient times in Egypt and how women could get pregnant from their own will. It was as if they knew that they were creators and could create at will. That was just how what they knew to be true and that these pregnancies were called light conceptions. And I was sitting in that class feeling very shy about raising my hand, but I did. I made myself raise my hand to ask this question and tell them 
what you're talking about right now, I think that happened to me. And because they're both psychic, and I did trust them because I had had sessions with them prior, they both looked at me, kind of read me, and they said, yes, that is what happened with you. And it was this confirmation and validation within that kind of solidified for me, wow, what I thought happened really did happen, but I didn't have words for it. And I had never heard of this happening. I didn't know it was possible. Then years later, so I had my son in 2005, in June, and in in 2009, I came across this book called Anna, Grandmother of Jesus by Claire Hartsong. And when I was reading that book, I came upon this part where concept of light conception came up. And this is what we know as how Jesus came into this world, right? Immaculate conception. Well, they called it light conception and described the process and explained how uh, the women of those times or these special women, right? These, the Magdalenes were bringing babies into the world. And maybe it wasn't babies. I can't remember the details, but it, you know, definitely Jesus, we could say. And I, just it rang such a deep bell of resonance throughout my being that oh my gosh this is really what might have happened to me and so that was how that was the progression of how i came to terms with or slightly understood what had happened to me and oh i also found a couple of women on the internet who had written I don't remember how I found them, but they had written that this had happened to them as well. I saw, I think I came across two accounts of women telling the same story. And I think since then through the grapevine, I might've heard of, a, of this happening, but not their specific stories, but just the fact that uh, there are a few women out there who feel like this has happened to them as well. What so, do you say, mm-hmm. what do you say to people that, you know, would just be like, ha, you're crazy. <laughs> well, honestly, I haven't been very public about it at all. I did write a blog post about it over 10 years ago, which is how you found me, which is astonishing because it's such an old blog post. I don't know how anybody would find it, but you did. And we're talking about it here today publicly for the first time. You could say that my blog post was a public um proclamation of this occurrence. However, I don't think many people have ever found my blog post and I or my blog in general, and I don't put it out there because I'm shy about it. I'm very discreet about it. This is the first time I'm speaking about it on a public forum. And so I have not come across anybody that has said that to me because I just haven't exposed myself that way. Actually, this morning, because I was gearing up to do this interview, I posted about it on Facebook, not a public post. So most people will not be able to to see that. But I got up the nerve to write about it a little bit um, and and post that blog post in the comment section. So um, some people could find that. And we'll see the people who responded are quite amazed and love that I shared it. So, so far, so good. I haven't really had backlash, but I do know that if this 
topic and this conversation were out there more in the public, of course, there would be so much backlash. But I don't care because when I have a personal experience, it's a personal experience. I'm not even claiming that I know for sure what happened. But when you have a feeling inside and you think something might be true, that's enough. And I don't care what other people say or think about it because I do know that other people have very rigid, dogmatic ways of thinking about things, but I don't. I'm very open, extremely open-minded, and I'm really open to all kinds of concepts. So people can think whatever they want, but I think the good thing about sharing is that it can expand people's consciousness, expand their mind, help them become open to different scenarios that they never thought were possible. And from that, it could validate some of their own experiences, even experiences that they were afraid to talk about. Yeah, I've heard through the grapevine, other women having this experience. I just don't know if they're willing to share it on this podcast. I wish they would. If you're one of these women, let me know. But I do want to touch on um, when I was a child, you know, of course, I knew about the Bible and I was raised in a Christian community and everything. And I would think about the fact that, you know, immaculate conception happened in the Bible and angels talk to humans in the Bible and all of these amazing things happened in the Bible. And the characters in the Bible were human. They lived on this earth and that was thousands of years ago. But as a child, I remember thinking, well, if these stories happened then and they're human, you know, why can't they happen now? And I think they do. And I think they can. And I remember thinking this as a child, you know, like if an angel talked to someone in the Bible, why, why is it deemed crazy that an angel talks to me right now in the year 2024? It, it, it shouldn't be that way, but that's, that's the perception. And that's just, that's just kind of (laughs) weird. Well, I totally agree. And it's so perceptive of you to have had these thoughts when you were a child. And it's so accurate because, of course, children are going to think the most perceptive and innocent things that are based in truth because that's where children are stemming from. And the, the fact of the matter is you're right because were the people in biblical times any more special or different than we are today? Probably not. They were the same. And... Jesus said, ye shall do these things and greater. So hello, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if 2000 years ago, the people writing the Bible, living in the Bible stories were more special, why? Why are they more special than us? I don't, I, I personally don't think so. I think I think anything that can happen in the Bible happens nowadays, which is why I'm interested in your story. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, it's, it, it takes some mind expanding to accept these things, but I think that's what we need to do. I mean, we should accept what Jesus said about you shall do these things and greater. I mean, we can't even conceptualize the, of the fact that we can do what Jesus did and more. And so we should start to contemplate that at least. Yep. Agreed. And I also love that you secretly knew something magical, mystical happened with your conception because you couldn't understand it. And it was a mystery 
And it was only years later that you heard of the concept of light conception that you're like, oh my gosh, maybe that happened to me. And that's, that's the first like light bulb where you got some sort of answer as to the mystical experience of the conception. I just think that's so cool. It really, I liked, <laughs> I like that it happened that way because there's such innocence in it. There's yeah. such un, unknowing, but a, an inner knowing and in uh, a feeling of how is this even possible? Oh my goodness. I think this really happened to me, but I can't really tell anybody. How do you tell someone that? And the fact that my son came to me so strongly before I got pregnant was also a sign of, look, I'm coming no matter what. And that was the truth. He was coming no matter what. And even the miracle healing that he brought, um, there were some other things like one time when I was pregnant, I was standing in my living room and out of nowhere, I heard a loud booming voice. I don't hear voices usually, but this was a very loud, booming, audible male voice, like adult male, <clears throat> that said, June 26th. And at, simultaneously, when that was spoken, I saw in my inner eye flashing uh, like Broadway sign lit up that said June 26th. So I saw the visual and I heard the booming sound. And my son was due on June 21st. So I thought, well, I wonder if this is an announcement about the day he's going to be born. Well, it was a few months prior to the birth. And I went into labor on June 25th. And I thought, oh, well, I guess he won't be born on June 26th. I guess that voice meant something else, but I don't know what it meant. And then I labored overnight and ended up having him on June 26th. <laughs> of course. So right. you are living a biblical story of, of angels talking to you. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. What about the name story? Oh, that. Oh, my gosh. So when I was pregnant, I didn't know what I was going to name my son. I do have a story about his name, which I can tell after this one. But when I was pregnant, I didn't have any ideas or I didn't know what I would name him. So I was at a friend's house and uh, she wasn't there. Her baby was sleeping upstairs. I was taking care of the baby and I was just alone in the living room and there was a baby name book. And I, since I was still thinking about baby names, I opened up the book and I, and I turned to the A's and I saw the name Adonis. And when I read the name Adonis to myself without speaking, again, I was alone, I kind of chuckled inside thinking how ridiculous it would be if I named my son Adonis, you know, because it means handsome. And so that was just a thought that I had. And then the next day, I was having an energy healing session with a woman over the phone and she had the ability to communicate with my son's soul. So he was the baby in the womb, but she had the ability to communicate with him. And she said, oh, your son, your baby is laughing and he's saying, you should name me Adonis. <laughs> so I couldn't believe that the baby that was in my womb could actually hear my thoughts. And obviously it was like his soul could, could hear 
my thoughts. So we have to be aware that when we're pregnant or even before we're pregnant, that soul is aware of us and and aware of even our thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I have a question actually about that medical doctor intuitive guy. What do you think about his first session? Because technically his first session was not 100% correct because he's like, you cannot get pregnant. And then getting pregnant was your healing. And he didn't say that. So what do you think? Right. So he's, I mean, I know you, I know you understand, but he didn't say you can't get pregnant. He said, you can't carry a baby to term. You'll have a miscarriage, but yes, correct. He told me, right. But the fact that it played out that way shows them the miracle because technically I couldn't carry a baby to term. The baby came in and healed me a hundred percent. I've never had any health problems before, at all after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it goes to show that God knows what we need and God, God is orchestrating everything, right? Like humans can have gifts of psychic ability and everything, but even then, like God knew that your son needed you and you needed your son and the healing through that. Well, it, it was the plan. I believe that we write our scripts for our life plan before we're born. And so it was always going to be the story that he would come in to be my son. And actually that leads into that other story I have about his name, which happened when I was five years old or six, because I turned, I have a summer birthday. So it was that summer when I turned six and I was at summer camp and I was very shy. I was a very shy child. And so this was very unlike me, but there was a little girl sitting under a tree and I walked up to her and I said, what's your name? So that was the part that's unlike me, you know, going up to someone and talking. Uh, so she said, my name is Skylar. And the whole world stopped. I still remember it. I'm 52. <laughs> the whole world stopped when I heard her say, my name is Skylar. And I thought, that's the most beautiful name I've ever heard in my entire life. And I went home and I told my mother, I said, mom, guess what? I met a girl today and her name was Skylar as if it were the biggest event. And my mom was like, "Uh uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. And so so nobody else would get the significance of that, I guess, except for me. And so (laughs) when, (laughs) When, my, when I was pregnant with my son, who's 18 now, by the way, and I don't have any other children, he's the only one, um, I made a list of names. And I showed them to my husband at the time. And he was like, ah, no, 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 down the list. And I was like, ah, oh, darn, okay, I have to keep thinking of names. And when, um, and then one day I looked up the, the meanings of the names, and Skylar means scholar. And when I showed him that, he was like, oh, I like the meaning of that name, scholar. <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, that's kind of a good sign. And But he had still said no. So we were at the, the baby shower and 
my ex, my husband at the time, walked around to all of my family members, all of my relatives, unbeknownst to me, and asked them what they thought of the name Skylar. And he, and it turned out that everybody loved it. And he came, I didn't even know he was still considering this name. So he came back to me and he said, everybody loves the name Skylar. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it too. I had no idea you were asking people about it or that you were even considering it, but that's it. And he, we agreed in that moment, that's it. That's the name. And so I, tr I do have this sense, this very deep feeling that because it was such a huge event, when I first heard the name when I was five or six years old, um, that it was my son's soul bringing that in. And then it somehow resurfaced years later when I was pregnant. I, I wasn't thinking about the name my whole life. It just appeared on my list. I wrote it out. Um, really don't know how that happened. It just did. And I have heard that babies choose their name. And I do have one other amazing story about that, which is that what, I taught hypnobirthing for 10 years. That's a natural childbirth education class. And one of the moms in the class had an experience where she had a name come to her and it was an unusual name that was two words, something like, uh, it was Eva Carla or something to some two words that we don't usually hear together, like Eva Carla, let's just say, even though that's not really what it was. And it came to her, she heard it. Well, the same thing had happened to her husband. He received the same name, like Eva Carla. And they both came together and said, I know what the name is, is. I know what we should name our daughter. And they both said the name. Wow. Isn't that incredible? I, I, I love stories like that. The, the unexplainable stories. Like you can't explain it with the logical human mind. And I, I have the same experience with you where I know I for sure had three baby souls. They've shown themselves to me and they have shown me their names. And when I, when I saw their name in my real world in my real reality, I, the world stopped. The world stopped. I was in Sweden with one of the names and the name was on this door and I just stopped. And I remember everything about that moment because it was like, whoa, this name means something. And then this, the second name was someone on an Instagram story naming their pet. And I froze. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the name. This is the name of my daughter. And then the third is um, from a book series. And I remember everything about the moment I was reading it. And it's, it's so true. And actually with my husband's name, the same thing happened. He, is a he was a hockey player in college. And I was in the stadium where his game was being played. And I was in the stadium and his name went over the loudspeaker and I froze and I was like, what is this name? And I, I remember everything about the moment and it was, he has a strange kind of name and I was frozen. The world stopped and I was like, what is this name? And then a year or two later, we started dating, but that is my experience as well, where it's like this, this soul recognition where everything stops and you're like, this is powerful. And I don't know why. 
and you can't explain it. You cannot explain it. Oh my gosh, that is so incredible. Yes, absolutely. These are moments that our soul recorded in time so that when we experienced it, we would feel it. Yeah, because there's no logical reason why the world stopped in that moment. And I can remember everything about those four moments, about those four names, my husband's name included. And it's just, to me, when it's a God moment, you just can't even explain it with the human mind. It's it's like um, in November, I was working at this computer that I'm on and my, my cat was outside and he went through the cat door into the house and meowed the strangest meow I've ever heard him meow. And he makes some weird noises like in the car, you know, bringing him places. But he did this meow and I immediately got up. I walked to him and I started crying and I'm like, you're dying. I know you're dying. And I can start getting teary eyes right now because it was a soul to soul moment where he meowed in his cat language. And my soul knew he was telling me he was dying. And then he died four weeks later. And I don't, I have like one big intuition moment like that a year, right? And all these stories span like 15 years. I have like one massive intuition moment a year or two a year, right? That doesn't happen often. But when it does, I can't explain it. And it moves me where I just knew he was dying. And my husband was questioning me like, but how do you know? And I just kept crying. I'm like, he told me and I can't explain it. And I know. And so now that's like, that's my reference point for my intuition where it's not coming from something I read. It's not coming from the TV. It's not coming from a conversation I had. It's like a lightning bolt on a sunny day where it just enters your being and you know, in the deepest, deepest depths of you and you can explain it. And that's how you know. That's exactly right. Yes. So amazing. Yeah. But yeah, people... I think everyone has these God moments. They just might not be able to use the same language as us. You know, they might say Holy Spirit. They might say different language. But I think everyone has had these moments because they're unexplainable and they're powerful. And we all just use different language. Absolutely. But, and people but, remember them, these yeah, moments. But we f- feel them. They're the deepest feeling moment, the deepest knowing moment. And it's like a moment where it's like, it's okay if you don't believe me because I know. And that's all that matters. Exactly. Yes, people's opinions don't matter in those God moments. No. I feel good. I feel complete. I could end it there unless you want to talk about anything else. But I am interested in your narcissist mother now. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie. Well, I, I feel good and we can end it here. But I have no problem talking about her as well. She's still alive. Would you be brave enough to talk about her even though she's still alive because you're no contact or what? Yeah, sure. So would you like to hear about the story of how I found out? Yes, please. Okay. So I was 40 years old and I was dating, mildly dating this guy who I knew had a personality disorder. I just didn't know what. I didn't understand this person. So I went on the internet to research personality disorders to try to figure out what 
was going on with him. And I came across a website called daughtersofnarcissisticmothers.com. And I clicked on it and I proceeded to read every detail about my mother, meaning she was textbook narcissistic personality disorder. And I could not believe my eyes because I knew what I had been through with her. I knew that I had gone no contact, although I didn't know non no contact was a thing or a term. I, everything that I had been through had actually was written on this website, word for word, verbatim. And with that, reading that, that validation, I started sobbing and sobbing from the depths of my soul because I was validated, because what my mother had was a thing. It wasn't just my mean mother anymore. It was, oh, she has a, a diagnosis. She has narcissistic personality disorder and it's real and she fits it exactly. So for me, it was validating. I was crying tears of relief. And that's how I found out. And, you know, there was another moment in time, speaking of God moments, that happened when I was 25. So that was 40, realized what it was called and that she had it. Hold now, on. Can you, hold on. Can you, yes. can you say a few of the bullet points? Like just off the top uh, of your head, you could you. I mean, you could explain your mother, like so people yeah. understand. Right. So, invalidating you, uh, completely invalidating, um, undermining, uh, twisting things, not believing you, um, being so. My mother is a covert narcissist, so it only happens behind closed doors. And so the rest of the world thinks she's the nicest woman in the world. And she is out in the world. And nobody, probably people who know her would never, ever, ever believe this about her. But at home behind closed doors, um, she would go into rages. So she had an anger that permeated her and that radiated from her almost all of the time. Uh, she went into what I would call psychotic episodes of um, screaming and crying and doing things that I don't even want to mention. So very abusive things happened. Um, so for ex I'll give an example even. Uh, so it's a mother who is not caring, not mothering, not nurturing, not loving. I never felt any ounce of love from her for a millisecond, not my entire life. Um, so one small example is when I was about eight or nine years old, I sprained my ankle after school. I was at an after school program. I sprained my ankle. I was supposed to walk home from school that day and I called her and I said, mom, I sprained my ankle. Could you please come pick me up? And her response to me was with anger. No, I'm not going to come pick you up as if I were a piece of 
crap. And I started crying because I was thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm going to get home, you know. And when I was crying on the phone, she said, okay, fine, I'll come pick you up. So it was always anything that she did, not anything, you can't generalize because with narcissistic people, they're sometimes nice and they're sometimes really, really mean. And so I'm not going to generalize and say it was all the time, but in, but a lot of the time, um, I was a nuisance, you know, anything that I asked for, would and if she were to give something you would have to actually go through absolute hell in order to receive the thing she's going to give you so it's usually not worth it 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 it's totally like blaming you and making you feel like you're a horrible person that you shouldn't even exist what i what i always think about it is like the complete and total annihilation of your soul because that was what she did to me all of the time annihilate my being my you know reason for existing was always being crushed to the point that she didn't even want me when i was born for so when she had had my sister two two and a half years prior and because she had had a girl and in a narcissist world everything is about them and so in her mind she was going to have a boy because she had the girl and now she's going to have a boy and that's her mind was set on it well i came out and i happened to be a girl and she had already picked my name a boy's name and when i came out she didn't name me because she didn't want me she she only wanted a boy but i was a girl so she was like well i didn't want that so she, she literally didn't name me. My grandmother named me because I had to have a name. So my grandmother stepped in and named me, but I didn't wasn't given a middle name. So my sister was born first. She has a middle name. Then I came along. She didn't want me. So she didn't give me a middle name. And then my brother came along next. And of course, he was a boy, so he got a middle name. But yeah, she told me. And how do I know the story? She told me repeatedly. You don't, you know, you don't <laughs> tell a child, I didn't actually want you, but she told me throughout my childhood. And, and the whole reason that she didn't give me a middle name was be the same reason she didn't name me because she couldn't think of a girl name she liked, not one. And um, so that story I know from her. So she has no, she doesn't even have the awareness to know that she shouldn't tell these stories to her own child. <laughs> wow. Do you, yeah, th th this is very textbook narcissist parent. Um, yeah. Do you know what was in her childhood to have created this? Well, that's a really good question. So I have a couple of stories about that. No, I don't. But one day when she was being, so, I mean, I, she was being so mean to me, honestly. I haven't even told you that part, but that's okay. Uh, she was being so mean, and I said to her at one point during that time, Mom, what was your childhood like with your mom? And she got, she got so enraged at me and yelled at me and some, said something like, that's none of your business or something and stomped off. She was so angry that I had asked the question. And then here's what happened. Years later, I was at a healer. I was lying down on a massage table receiving a healing session from a psychic healer. And she said to me, your grandmother is here. And she said that she dedicated, after she died, 
my grandmother died when I was 15. She said that after she died, she made a vow to stay with me for the rest of my life and watch over me because she feels responsible for the way that my mother treated me. I don't know any more than that, but I think that my mother experienced hardship, uh, abuse or something when she was growing up because of the amount of anger that she and my two aunts, her two sisters have, the three of them, the three sisters exude that, that anger, that rage. Um, and so I, I don't think things were easy for them and I don't know what happened. Mm. Yeah. So, wow. Your soul chose a horrible mother, but now then you became a mother and you seem like a delight of a human and you alchemize that level of trauma and pain to light. I did because my goal was to be the, the greatest, most loving, most nurturing, most validating mother I could possibly be. Of course, that's my nature. I was born this way and I absolutely wasn't going to repeat anything that my mother did. And I did that. I did a great job raising my son. And my mother, like you said, we I chose my mother. And the reason, um, I have a story about that. It is so profound. Uh, when several years ago, I, um, I had to do something that was in my power. I had to I had to step into my power to complete a task and do something. And it was that uh, um, someone had received healing sessions with me and classes, private classes and healing sessions with me, uh, a lot of them. And then she turned around and called her credit card company and told her, told them that all of those charges were fraudulent. So she got all of her money back from me. So I had to file a police report and explain and show the documentation of all of the classes and everything. And I, and I did file that report and I did get the money back. But in filing that police report was a moment of stepping into my power. And after I filed the report, that was an online, you know, um, procedure. I got into my car and I started driving somewhere. And this had never happened to me before, but my mother's soul or higher self swooped in and visited me on the dri- on the driver's side window where I was driving the car and she swooped in and quickly said to me, I wanted you to be in your power. And then she flew away and that was it. So two things happened in that visitation. Number one, I felt love from my mother for the first time in my life. And I know it was the first time in my life because I felt it for the first time, which told me, oh my goodness, I literally never felt love from my mother, not for one millisecond. And this was her soul, but I could feel it. I felt it from her soul. Number two, she gave me the reason that I chose her. She said, I wanted you to be in your power. So she acted like my bully my entire life, 
to get me into that space. And I did it. It was hard. And I think a lot of people, it doesn't, it may not even happen. It can, narcissistic abuse utterly crushes and destroys you. So you do have to build yourself up. You have to rebuild. And it can take years of healing and and clearing from trauma, severe trauma. But I did that and I am in my power. And I guess I chose her for this reason because I wouldn't be who I am today had I not had her as a mother. I know it's it's so funky to imagine that a person needs to crush a soul for them to find their power. But I I do always think of it as one path, right? Like your mother could have alchemized and healed her own pain. She had that free will. She had that choice. But, you know, she she didn't because she wasn't at that conscious level. And and so instead it was through this darkness, this shadow, this pain that was transferred to you that you alchemized her pain to light. You alchemized all the trauma to love. And, and that's the work you free on your free will chose to do. She could have, she could have, but, but she didn't. And instead you did. And that's like, I, I think I think we choose our parents and all these things, but we also, you know, we God gives us this free will and she could have done that healing herself, but she didn't. And you chose to. And that is so powerful. It's true. You're absolutely right. She could have. Everybody has the opportunity to heal and to be introspective, to work on their wounds, to try to become a better person. And um you know, at one point in my life, uh, after my dad died in 2000, uh, I was actually very, very sick before my dad was diagnosed. And I was trying to deal with my health problems, which I didn't understand. And they were, I was very not in a good situation. And then when he was diagnosed, I took care, I dropped everything, moved across the country, took care of him around the clock, and then he died. Well, during that time, my mother was severely abusive. She went into those psychotic episodes, raging and abusing him while he was dying, which was one of the most traumatic things I've ever experienced. And then when he died, I ended up collapsing into bed because I had already been sick. And I was bedridden for six months. I was fighting for my life with every breath I took. And in that bed, God found me. I had been an atheist. That's a long story. But God found me in that bed and saved me. And it was through my will of wanting to live that I, that I stayed alive. And during that time, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to believe. Well, other people have had abusive parents, so they'll understand. But while I was in that bed, bedridden, fighting for my life, as an adult, every single day, my mother came into my room because I was at my parents' house because I had just taken care of my dying father. She would come into my bedroom, open the door and scream. And I mean, yell, yell at me, go live on the street every day. Go live on the street repeatedly yelling at the top of her lungs. 
while I was trying to stay alive. And she would yell at me for eating food. Um, So I was in survival mode. I had nothing. I had no clothing that fit me because I was wasting away. I had no money. I had no job. I had the bed, which was not even a bed. It was a mattress on a floor. (laughs) This is the extent of of my situation, Um, a mattress on the floor and nothing, and a mother yelling at me to live on the street. And my will was so strong to, to, I was so determined to get better so that I could escape that house. All I wanted to do was get out, escape, find a place to be safe and live my life. And God had held my hand I was not a believer, but God held my hand and was with me that whole time. And I finally got enough energy to leave. And um, I didn't tell her where I was going. So that, I mean, when you talk about a narcissistic mother, people need to understand how severe it is. You can't just throw the word narcissist around and people think, oh, yeah, your mom was mean to you. When somebody tells you that their parent was a narcissist, you need to understand that that child and even adult has been tortured by that person, utterly tortured. Yeah. Did you then go on and choose men that resembled your mother? I did. <laughs> I um not that Classic. we got it. <laughs> Not that we got into relationships. They were more like connections of maybe unrequited love or just a trauma bond that with, yes, with narcissistic men. But thank God I was saved. We didn't actually get into a relationship or have relations. They were just um, attachments, I would say. But learning, I mean, learning experiences until the point where I, I got it and I said, no, I don't you know, I don't want this again. I'm done. So I'm yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to end with maybe advice with someone that's in middle of their battle with their narcissist parent that they don't have resolution with that yet? Yes. So as hard as this may sound, and I know it's not feasible for everyone, but in a lot of cases, if you have a narcissistic parent and you're still connected to them, Do some deep thinking about going no contact because I know the struggle and it took me years. Even though I told you I escaped that house, that wasn't the end of my relationship with her. The relationship went on for years and I struggled with this decision deeply to go no contact. How could you go no contact with your own mother? That was, that's a tremendous question that of course outsiders would put upon you, but you put that question upon yourself when you're trying to figure this out. And it takes a lot of strength to go no contact with a parent. It's not easy. Any child of a narcissistic parent knows it's one of the hardest decisions you'll make in your life. However, it's also one of the best decisions you'll ever make in your life. I've never regretted it for one moment. It's been 15 years. It was the best decision I ever made in my life because A, I could heal. B, I wouldn't be abused anymore. Um, And so I know that there are a lot of people out there, I know them personally, who are not going to go no contact with 
the one parent, typically it's the mother, uh, I don't know why, but in the stories that I know about, because their father is under the abuse of the mother and know this person, adult child knows that if I end my relationship with my mother, I will also be ending it with my father because I will no longer have access to him because he's being so severely abused by my mother that it will make his life a living hell and he will not be able to have a separate relationship with me. I know that for a fact, it, it is impossible. So these people, there are a few people that I know who are maintaining relationships with their narcissistic mother in order to maintain a relationship with their father. Uh, luckily, in my case, my father had already passed on. She abused him too. And so, um, but yes, the message to adult children of narcissistic parents is that if you can, try to go no contact because you'll get your life back. You will not be able to heal until you do this. You, you cannot heal while you're being abused.